Hello, and welcome to The Breathwork Club, a podcast designed to help you connect with your breathing. My name is Brian Malone, and thank you very much for joining. In this week's episode of the podcast, I had a chat with Jody Kennedy, a very dear friend of mine. Jody is a dude who in many ways resists definition. Former soldier in the army. He's now what I guess you could describe as a holistic trainer. Focusing on strength and mobility. But also breathwork. Mindset and meditation. In this conversation we spoke a little about Jody's journey so far. His experiences with plant medicine his approach to breathwork, and also the new venture he's about to embark on, Universal Space, a studio that will offer physical training, but also art exhibitions, live performances, and spiritual events. And it really promises to be something special. I want to say a big thank you to Jody for finding the time to have this chat. I really enjoyed getting to hear his thoughts and insights and where he's come from, where he's going. And I hope you enjoy the conversation too. So, first of all, Jody, I want to say a big thank you for taking the time to have the chat. How are you doing today? Great, bro. Yeah, yeah, good. Had a busy enough day. Um, yesterday was a bit of a write-off, so uh, we had a busy enough day today, but I'm super happy to be here, bro pumped and looking forward to geeking out on some breath <laughs> my favorite yeah. thing so we we've actually known each other quite a while jody um for those of you guys listening jody was a friend of my older sisters when i was growing up so i hope you don't mind me saying this but when i was younger i was actually really afraid of you jody <laughs> jody always had this kind of like almost mythical image in my mind because he was my sister's friend who was in the army he was into martial arts and whatever, every time I remember meeting you, it was quite intense. <laughs> so I was always a little bit afraid of you. And then I remember as we got a little bit older, I heard through friends that you had, you had explored plant medicine and that it had quite a profound impact on you, mm. on your, uh, yeah, how you kind of understood yourself in the world. And then as I started teaching yoga, we seem to kind of gravitate towards each other and sort of mixing in similar circles. And then I remember reconnecting with you a few years ago. I think Jenny Keane held a tantric breathing workshop in some observatory in Dublin somewhere. And I, and I met you there for the first time in years. And I remember having this thought in my head of that, like if someone had told me 10 years ago that me and Jody Kennedy would be breathing on the floor together <laughs> with Jenny Keane. Uh, I'm not sure I would have believed it, but I'm very, I'm very grateful now to be able to call you a friend and to now know you as a, an incredibly genuine and, and well-meaning and loving person. So I would love to start off, if you wouldn't mind, in as much or as little detail as you would care to share, bringing us through your journey from that, that, that young dude in the army to, to where you are now. Thank you, brother. Wow. And of course, it was Jenny Kane. Who else would it be? <laughs> I remember that was a fun night, actually. That was uh, it was actually my birthday that night. 
Andrew Breeden, sorry, because yeah, that was pretty intense. <laughs> um, I want to apologise retrospectively for my intimidation, mate. <laughs> it was never an intention, but <laughs> we'll probably get into that now in a, in a, in a minute. But um, yeah, I suppose I'll start from the start. I grew up in inner city Dublin, like in North Strand, Ballybock kind of area, rough enough, rough enough area. Um, my single mother and my parents have separated and I suppose I had a bit of a duality of uh, existence when I was younger because it was a really I was a really emotional kid I would say when I was really young you know and um, yeah it was, it was emotional hyperactive definitely but um yeah you know quite open I would say looking back now and as I grew older I suppose the duality was that I was like living in this inner city area you know and um, and a lot of a lot of kind of you know poverty, like not the same poverty, but the people that I hung around with were, you know, they were they were inner city people, like great people, but but different, like people that are different. They grow up in different uh, situations. And my mother is an artist. My father's a, a musician. You know, so I kind of already had a bit of a different beginning. I would say, you know, we didn't have a TV in the house until I was thirteen. You know, so. It was always a little bit like different for where I lived, you know, and then educationally, I went to like educate together schools. Like I went to NDNSP in Glasnevin and then I ended up going to Mount Temple, as you know. And so they were kind of, you know, it was always a bit like different probably than everybody that I hung around with. I suppose that probably like made me a bit of a target in some ways to people from the outside because like a lot of the a lot of surrounding areas, you know, would have been like flats complexes. We lived in houses, but a lot of surrounding areas would have been flats complexes. And so we were soft targets anyway, you know, just because we lived in houses, like, but uh, probably me in particular, because uh, I was, you know, probably a little bit different. So I think when I was younger, I learned to posture, you know, and to like suppress that part of myself in order to like, I suppose as a survival mechanism, like that sounds very dramatic, but just as a way to not be a target, you know, and I learned at a young age that you could use posturing and that you could use the way you move and the way you speak and the way you look at people and yeah, the way you hold yourself to as a protective mechanism, you know, but like obviously is rooted in insecurity deep down. Like, but um, I got into martial arts then at, at a youngish age, you know, 15, 16. And kind of because I want to learn to, to handle myself and learn through that, that, like when you're actually prepared to, when you're prepared to respond with force, like it's actually rare that you get into these situations in the first place. So that was another lesson for me in, in that. But um, I held on to a lot of that stuff, you know, because once you build those shields and once you build up those like protective mechanisms, they become a part of who you are and it's kind of, it's hard to uh, to even see them because they they just something that's that's in you, you know. Um, and when I came out of school, I went straight into the military, and that probably served again just to compound this like same pattern of of uh, posturing and you know like masculine stoic kind of bullshit, you know. Really, at the end of the day, is what it is because it's all just built out of insecurity you know and that's probably what you experienced of me when I was younger you know in terms of yeah that that was kind of the way I viewed the world at the time you know um 
But at a young age, even when I've talked about this before, when my, my grandmother died, and I remember being at the funeral and like all my cousins were just like wailing, crying. We were standing around the body and I was kind of standing there and like, I was sad, but I, I didn't like feel, I, didn't, I wasn't feeling, you know, what was going on. And I remember looking around the room and just thinking like, this is weird. Why am I not crying? Why am I not? feeling emotional about this is like a really strong I felt like really like strange at that time I knew like even at that age I was probably 11 that this was weird like you know and mm. um, so that was my first kind of inkling of uh of that being something that wasn't serving me you know and then it was only after fucking 12 years in the army um I was like what age would I be in then I was like into my 30s you know I was like mm. 31 maybe and uh just feeling that the pressure of all of this uh inability to to see into emotion and understanding then at that time that this was like a handicap you know that actually it's not a strength that being like this is is restricting me from being who i need to be for like more so for the people around me but also like for myself obviously as well but the first kind of time it hit me was like that. Yeah, the other people, I'm not able to be there emotionally for other people, basically, you know, and that's not good, like, because, you know, this is what we need to form, like, connections and form bonds and, you know, to have the type of friendships that I want to have and the type of friendships that I have now, you know. Um, so, yeah, really understanding that that was, a, that was a handicap for me and that's what made me start looking into plant medicines and, and hearing about these things. And it just sounded, when I heard about ayahuasca and looked into it more, it just sounded like what I needed, you know? The, in, the way people spoke about it, the way it had this just heart-opening effect. Um, and also I will admit that the idea of being able to go and do this and have like a swift change was appealing to me as well so maybe there was a little bit of laziness in there as well and that I didn't want to necessarily like do the work in terms of like the long road you know but understanding now afterwards that there's no escaping that long road you know and that that was the catalyst you know that that really just gave me the space to start looking inside and, and to, to looking at how I'm interacting with people and how I'm dealing with myself in the world and how I'm projecting all of my own shit out into the world and that's feeding back to me and yeah that was the, the catalyst you know so from there on it's been like a journey I suppose of just just integrating all that stuff and obviously trying to do more work and um, develop myself and be a better human and, and yeah be better for my people and the people around me and trying to do something good in this world as corny as that kind of sounds but yeah um yeah I suppose that kind of <laughs> it's interesting when I hear you speak about these things because and some of this of course would be my own projections but when I was younger I think I would have looked at you as kind of representing an almost romanticized or idealized version of masculinity you know being in the army to the martial arts to you know representing a certain kind of strength 
But when I hear you talk through it, I kind of get the sense that, you know, that was actually very limiting in a lot of ways. And I know one of the things that you've done a lot of work with and work around is the idea of masculinity. So do you kind of think or do you see that we might be maybe entering into a new paradigm around masculinity or new perceptions around masculinity? Or do you feel maybe to a certain extent we have to work through these little stereotypes ourselves and then to kind of see them for what they are? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good way to frame it. I think we are definitely are entering a new paradigm, not just in terms of masculinity, but in terms of like femininity, how we view gender as a whole and, and what it means to be like strong or weak or what those like labels mean, you know? Because to me now, like a strong man is somebody who is just as as capable of like admitting their faults and you know looking into themselves and looking at their own kind of shadow side as being able to like physically overpower someone but this like i suppose symbolically like we think of things in this way and that like we use symbology all the time so like this idea of you know a, a strong man a stoic man that's like untouchable and there's 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 utility in that in some ways. Like I'm sure you've seen it going through the pregnancy with Charlotte. And, and I'm the same with Eva, like going through this now and having gone through the loss like earlier last year and understanding that, you know, there's times where that's utility, you know, where sometimes it's necessary to put your own feelings on the back burner in order to be like there and to, you know, provide a, uh, whatever's needed you know what I mean to just to just be there as as the guy that does the stuff like um but it's also just as important to to come back to that you can't leave that stuff buried and I think that's what a lot of us do as men and that's like how we're conditioned is to just bury it but never never dig it back up and look at it you know just keep pushing stuff down further and further and further that just that bubbles up you know it, it's not staying down that stuff grows wings and uh, you can't hide from it forever, you know? So one way or the other, you're going to have to deal with that stuff like in the long term or on your deathbed, like worst case scenario, you know, you're on your deathbed and thinking about all of the, the stuff that you, you didn't do or your failings or the times that you weren't there, you know? So uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that like in terms of, in terms of like the, the energy of like this masculine idea of like, physically like pushing forth or you know forging forward and fighting your demons or whatever it might be it's just as true as true in um, an emotional sense and the an inner work sense as it is in an outer world sense in that it takes more bravery to look at yourself and to weed out your your faults and to look at your negative patterning and to look at the things that you're afraid of and um, that takes more courage, I would say, than it does to, you know, be physically intimidating or to be like um, this outward expression of masculinity, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I mentioned on a, a previous podcast that I did, but there's this quote that's always stuck with me ever since I've heard it. And I can't remember who, I, who the quote is from, but it's that you kind of have a choice in life of struggling with facing up to your issues 
or struggling with ignoring your issues. Either way, it's going to be a bit of a struggle, but you kind of have the choice, either the, the struggle of, of owning up to them or the struggle of trying to like run away from them. Um, and I think the, the experience with ayahuasca, was that obviously was a beneficial experience for you, but did that help you face these things a little bit more or were you kind of on that path already? I would say like I had had initially just by thinking about it and by being in that space where it was like, oh, this is what I need to do. Um, yeah, I was already kind of stepping onto that pathway, you know, but definitely that was the thing that, that kind of broke me through the veil where I was able to, like, I suppose in a way you get to, when you do something like that, and it's always about us, it's always about how we view ourselves because actually everybody else doesn't care that much about you. Like we're so narcissistic that we think like, oh, if I change a bit, people are going to judge me or people are going to laugh, whatever. Actually, nobody really cares that much about, you know, about how you are. So it gave me, I suppose, the, the segue to be able to, like, kind of initiate a, a, a rebirth, if you want to call it that, or to, to decide, okay, that's like a stopping point where that behavior or those patterns, I'm going to leave them behind me and I'm going to embark on this new kind of journey. So I suppose in a way, like a rebirth is another maybe corny way to talk about it, but that's what it feels like. You know, it's like, okay, I give myself the permission now to express myself in a different way, you know? Um, so it was definitely a catalyst in that way and I think like there's many roads I'm not saying like plant medicine is the way there's tons of different ways for some people it's a trauma that initiates this process or for some people it's just a natural thing that happens and there's many different ways some people go to talk therapy some people go and do somatic dance or like there's many 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 different pathways and I think that's why all of these things exist and breathwork included in that and but for me in the place where I was, um, that was the thing at the time that that attracted me and that worked, you know. And it was it was an amazing experience, like it really was. It was a once in a lifetime experience, like um, just this deep, just even without the the medicine, even without the plant medicine, like to be in the jungle there for a month with all of these other people who were just focused on being open and like looking into themselves and just this whole environment of open talking and speaking about these issues that we all have that we never talk to, like even the people close to us, you know, it's um, sometimes we don't delve into these things. So even that in itself was, was medicine, like some of the most powerful experiences for me in Peru where after the, after the medicine work and just sitting in a talking circle and, passing the talking stick around people just expressing themselves and supporting each other and holding each other and holding space for each other and that in itself like for me was such a mind-blowing like new experience it's like wow and, and seeing people's vulnerabilities and understanding that everybody goes through this like everybody has self-doubt everybody gets frustrated with themselves and you know yeah it, it was incredible man yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, I think although we all like intuitively know it, it can be easy to sometimes forget that everyone's got their own shit going on. Everyone's got their own insecurities and kind of things that they struggle with. But I think vulnerability 
it's something which doesn't always come natural to some of us, and at least that was the case for me. But one thing I'm starting to realize and appreciate more and more is how vulnerability and openness is actually really inspiring. I think when, at least when I come across people who are willing to be open in that way, I find one that can help kind of draw me out of my own kind of little storyline going on in my head, but also motivate me to be more open and vulnerable as well. I think that's a really important, a really beautiful thing. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's attractive because it's courageous, I think, you know, like when I hear people speaking, it's inspiring to me when I hear people talking, like opening about their vulnerabilities and their problems and their, like how they're facing them. And that to me is like courage. That's real courage, you know, um, because the cave, the darkest cave is in here. It's inside us, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so one of the focuses of your work is ancestral health. For the people who might be listening who maybe don't know what that is, would you mind explaining that to us? Absolutely, yeah. So ancestral health is just a, it's a different way of looking at, I suppose I got, I've been in the fitness industry for a fairly long time, you know, like you see, I'm sure you see in the yoga game as well, these same like kind of wordings and, and these same kind of just patterns reinventing themselves over and over and over again. Like ancestral health is a way of just reframing the paradigm and looking at the human as a complex system of systems as opposed to something that we can impose a fix on in like one regard, you know, saying, oh, do this uh, one thing. Because everybody in the fitness game, especially, is looking for like this one magic answer. It's like, what's the one food type I can eat that's going to make me skinny or what's the one exercise I can do that's going to make me buff or what's, you know, it's always like this one magic pill thing. And the truth is there's no like one thing. It's multiple changes across a broad spectrum of things. And so that's one part of it is that we look at the human as a holistic complex system of systems. And we try to make changes amongst all of these systems, small changes across the broad spectrum um, and the other part of it is looking at how we are, how we are built, how we've evolved and what are the things that serve us in that way. So, you know, machines and like all of these like bars, all of these things have their function, but the overall goal should be to return us really to a natural state of being. Mm. So we're born. And you have a lovely baby in the house there now, I'm sure, as someone who's into movement and breathing, you're having a great time watching how the movement is developing and how you look at kids, you look at young people moving and they have access to all these stuff, you know, all of these ranges of motion. And then they're conditioned out of us as we grow older. And so what we are now is like, minus what we were when we were born, you know? <laughs> it's like trying to regain and those movement patterns, but also like the idea of play as a tool for learning, you know, play is one of our primary learning circuits and it's kind of beaten out of us as we grow up. Playing is childish, playing is blah, blah, blah. Like Einstein himself said, play is the highest form of research, you know, this is like built into us. So just looking at the natural ways that we can bring ourselves back into that state, just that like healthy, content, natural state of being and um, because there's so much 
being sold to us again in not just the fitness industry and in every industry, but again, people are preying on this idea of the one thing and marketers know this and they sell you six week abs and they sell you all of these different things that, you know, deep down we all know they don't work, but it appeals to us on some level of thought that enough that we'll go and pay for it and hope <laughs> and pray that it is the answer. But ultimately, um, it's about just returning to a natural, healthy state, and pain-free, moving right, breathing right, and, and even in the sense of a mindset and play mentality. So it's a, it's a loose term, but that's the... <laughs> yeah, I love seeing your Instagram when you're out on the beach, picking up these random rocks and chunks of wood. And I have heard that our bodies and our nervous system in particular respond differently to say picking up a stone where you don't really know the weight as opposed to lifting up weights on a bar where you know exactly how much you are lifting that our nervous system and our bodies are kind of stimulated in a slightly different way and I guess that's probably the focus of ancestral health and your work is maybe reclaiming these more natural ways of moving or exercising hundred percent like uh, me and uh, Andy, you know, Andy from the movement studio, we have this little argument where I'm like, there's no straight lines in nature. And because that's, that comes from like in the army, when you're talking about camouflage, it's like one way you can spot people is straight lines are always human, you know, mm. um, and there's no straight lines in nature. And he's like, oh, really, isn't there? But that's like when you use the equipment, right? equipment is great. Bars are great. Plates are great. It's all great stuff. But, it becomes something that you end up forming yourself around. So if, if you're lifting a bar all the time, well, you become great at lifting a bar. But like you say, when you go to lift an oblong object, object that's like a stone where the weight is shifted to one side, there's no grips on it. It produces a lot more complexity, you know? And like the more, sorry, the more complexity that is involved in especially movement pattern, but the more we will engage our nervous system to, to learn, and the more we engage it, the more we'll adapt to that thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So introducing like varied stimulus to our system is in my opinion, much more valuable than learning to do a set thing really well. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And this is where we get into like the idea of performance versus just health, you know, and like a lot of people are training as if they're a high performance athlete. When in fact, you know, they've got a full time job and you've got a couple of kids at home and you're hammering yourself in this like idea that you need to perform, perform, perform. When actually, if you just took the foot off the gas a bit, had a little bit more fun, did stuff that was a bit more varied and give yourself the room to play and to explore, actually, you can give yourself a lot more, you know, because your nervous system adapts to that. Plus you recover better because you're not hammering yourself like all the time, just crushing yourself, you know? Yeah, I'm currently doing a, a short little online course on neuroscience and parenting. So it traces the development of the human brain and nervous system to give you some insights on how to, I guess, parent in the most beneficial way possible. But one of the things I said in this course is that one of the most one of the best things you can do for your kids is to let them climb trees because climbing trees is obviously some physical exercise which is great but it's also kind of a, a mental exercise as well 
Because when you climb a tree, you kind of have to think about it, you have to plan, you have to adapt as you kind of progress. So they said one of the best things you could do for your kids is let them climb trees. But one of the best things you can do for yourself is to climb the tree with them. Because as adults, we benefit from, I guess, exposing ourselves to that kind of stimulus as well. I love it. Love it. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, Sapiens, that book, Sapiens, yeah. um, there's a great piece in that book where it's like one of the only lines that I remember about it, but it's um, the human brain is primarily designed for moving through complex environments. So, like, our, our brain, our nervous system, like, the whole the whole point of it is to enable us to move fluidly through complex environments, you know, and complex means varied, you know, so something like a tree, it's, it's not repeatable. Every tree is different. You know, you'll climb that tree. It's a completely different experience of climbing that tree. And this gives us a wide spectrum of input of stimulus into our nervous system. And this helps us to develop, you know, it's like for the brain as much as it is for the body. And this is the thing about us all trying to like segment and like, oh, I'll read a book from my head and then I'll like do some push-ups for the body. And then, you know, you can't separate these things. Like they're all, they're all interconnected. Um, and I guess one of the things that connects these things is our breathing. And I've heard you describe, and I really love this description, breathwork as the low hanging fruit of fitness. Do you mind going into that a little? Yeah, uh, yeah it's so true though. Like... <laughs> If there's one thing, like, okay, if we talk about bang for book in terms of your health, you know, I don't think there's anything else out there that requires less input in terms of less effort and gives you as much return as, as just consciously breathing. And again, trying to return our breathing patterns to their natural state, you know, nasal breathing. The majority of the time, learning to control our energy systems through breath, learning to like modulate our nervous system in terms of how we show up emotionally. And um, there's just there's so many, so many positive uh, side effects of of working with your breath that it's just impossible to ignore. Like once you understand it, and um, I think the crux of that is that there's probably a misunderstanding. For a lot of people in terms of the breath and the actual what, what's going on because i know you've looked into this obviously but um the idea of co2 and oxygen and what's actually going on within the body and how important co2 is and that like simple understanding of, of changing that that shift from like oxygen to co2 is like a game changer but yeah like you can affect change across the board in nearly all aspects of your life with breath work like would you agree with that i have 100 percent. like i it's it's i can say it without a shadow of a doubt paying attention to my breathing made me a better person yeah like for sure and so what was your history of breath work how did you come across it or how were you introduced to it how did it all begin for you yeah, my first exposure, I suppose, to, to like any type of control breathing would have been in martial arts um, and doing, you know, like different types of katas where they like had different breath, breath prescriptions um, for a diff bringing a different, like, how would you say, like bringing a different element to a kata, you know, so making it like a fiery one or making it a soft, flowy one and how your breath fed into that. Um, and I used to really enjoy that stuff when I was younger. 
And sorry, is it a cat that you're saying? Cathy, yeah, yeah, doing like like forms, you know, doing like set movement forms. Okay. Um, and they're kind of like, I suppose it would be like, you know, Tai Chi or Qigong or something like that. Um, it's like movement and breath combined, but under control. There's different, there's different elements that you can bring to to cathas to make them like more powerful or more flowy and smooth or more air-like or, you know, so... That was kind of the first time I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I used to get really into it when I was playing with with the breath, you know, and they would just ground me into it and like that I would lose myself in it. And then I suppose through like all types of striking and all that stuff would have some form of like breath prescription in there as well, you know. But um, after that, then I started to do a yoga class. I was like, I'd never heard of this style of yoga again up in the Lantern Centre, up at, uh, it's behind where the Bleeding Horse is there. Yeah. And uh, it was called Shivan Yoga. And there was a guy called Beto who used to, used to run it. And uh, I, I, this was the first time I'd ever done yoga. So I didn't know what yoga, well, I knew like kind of what yoga was, but I'd never taken part in the yoga class. So this was the, my first experience of yoga. And uh, it was like in this little hall in this place and it was kind of you had to go in the back door and uh used to do like loads of chanting loads of breath work like we do like lion's breath i only know what they are now because i'm looking back on it you know we do lion's breath we do the beebles and bread we used to do tons of breath work i'd say the class was an hour and a half and probably 45 to 50 minutes of it was like just intense breath work and the other half of it was basically just holding static positions. So like holding elbow levers or holding like just forward folds and breathing into it, but for a really long period, like five minutes at a time. Um, but those breathing practices, I used to, when we go up and do like heavy breathing practices, like, whoa, this shit is like no control. It was just like feel the change, you know? And I, like, I still didn't understand what was going on. Um, but I knew that made me feel good, you know, and I knew that it was like, yeah, it made me feel really energetic or, yeah, and sometimes it would feel different. We do a soft practice and I feel really like zen and grounded after it. And then sometimes we do like a really intense breath practice and I feel pumped up after it. I find it hard to go to sleep that night, you know. So, yeah, I still didn't kind of understand what was going on, but I gravitated to that. Like, I used to love that. Um, and I, if I went up and he didn't do breath work, well, I'd be devastated, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose that was, like, the first time I got into, like, formal breathing practice. Um, and then I kind of drifted away from that. His classes stopped for some reason. Um, and after a couple of years in the Army, like, I notice myself starting to get like a little bit anxious because it's a really high intensity environment like there's no room for there's no room for fucking up like there's no room for you know messing up at all there's no forgiveness there's nothing like that so anytime you mess up it's like serious repercussions you know and i still have like it's funny i still have dreams now where i'm back in the army and i'm in a uniform and like i can't find my rifle or i can't find my boots or my hat or something i'm running around panicking you know <laughs> So I started to notice this kind of anxious feeling creeping in. I'd never really experienced that before. Um, and so it's like, I'll get into a bit of meditating. And I remember I got this uh, meditation CD and I was just sitting there trying to do the meditation. And I just couldn't like, I couldn't sit into it. I couldn't sit there 
you know. And uh, after a while, I was thinking back to Beto's classes and to the to the Shivam stuff. So I would do a little bit of breathing, and then that would allow me just to to sit and meditate. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I just started doing that before before I meditate. I would just do like a little bit of like heavyish breath work, like breath of the line or something like that. Just burn off a bit of steam, and that would just let me settle into it. Um, and that allowed me to get my head into a space where my brain was just flying, you know. So I suppose that was where I started to use it myself then in, in like a daily or a, 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 a practice. And I really noticed the difference then, like in terms of my anxiety. I remember like getting into shit or something. I got into trouble for something for like leaving early or something or leaving like two minutes early, you know, something stupid like I'm getting ripped out of it, just standing there getting lambasted. And just being like completely, like on one level hearing it, but on another level being like, none of this matters. Like, I'm going to go home today. I'm just going to get on with my life. And this is not like something that's going to affect me. Do you know what I mean? And so I was like, whoa, that was mad. That's <laughs> never happened before, you know? And it's this kind of got this calmness to me about all of that stuff that I had previously been anxious about. And, uh, then later on, I kind of came across Wim Hof at some stage or watched a documentary or something like that. I was like, whoa, this is cool. And I got stuck into the Wim Hof stuff for a while, for like a good while, like a year or two. And then, like, I'm curious in terms of, I kind of need to know what's that kid who was like, but why? But why? But why? <laughs> and like, Wim Hof, there was a certain amount of the why, and they talked about the the studies and all of that. So I was like, whoa, there's actually like scientific, like there's, there's something in this, like this is real. Um, so I started looking deeper and deeper into it, got a little bit into like Brian McKenzie stuff, the Art of Breath guys, and a little bit of Patrick McKeown's stuff, the Oxygen Advantage. And that really kind of gave me more of a scientific, I suppose, understanding of what actually is going on in the body when we do breath retentions or when we slow our exhales or when we lengthen our inhales and how that's affecting our nervous system and the vagus nerve and the diaphragm and the CO2 and oxygen exchange in the tissues. And then I was like, oh, okay. So there's like, there's a whole conceptual like proven thing here. Like this is, and when I understood it then, I was like, well, we, we can't, like this is unignorable. You can't say, uh, when you look at the science, like it's it's impossible to ignore. In if you're interested in health, like like I said, it's the low hanging fruit, you know. So yeah, I suppose I did the I did the art of breath course and just got really stuck into using all different practices. And those guys use it a lot in training, like so. It's very coming from I suppose a physical background that maybe was a little bit easier for me to to get into because there's, there's no dogma at all in it. And it's very like bare bones, like this is what we see. And they've taken stuff from a lot of different methods and different methodologies and kind of looked at what's common across the board mm. and correlate all that stuff together without any of the kind of other stuff like the esoteric, not that I'm in any way opposed to the esoteric side of things. I love that stuff as well. But I find sometimes that stuff can get in the way of the understanding if that makes sense yeah i think sometimes in the yoga world and this is not across the board or the case with every teacher but 
sometimes there can be a tendency to jump towards the slightly more elaborate, fancy styles of breathing without fully emphasizing the importance of just breathing well physically, kind of doing the basics of breathing good. And then when you have the basics good, it kind of gives you the platform to then kind of explore the more kind of like elaborate styles. So if we're just to focus on breathing for training at the moment, what do you think are the kind of most important basics people need to sort of get right? Yeah, so it depends on the type of training that you're doing. It's obviously, but um, like if we talk about aerobic training, so um, if you are breathing through your nose, like we know now that, you know, this nitric oxide, there's all these different ways that it relaxes our nervous system, but also increases our um, perfusion in the lungs, increases our ability to uptake oxygen, but primarily holds on to CO2 in the body and slows our breathing down. Um, and by holding on to the CO2, we can create the right acidic environment for the oxygen to actually get into the tissues. And this is the big misunderstanding, I feel, especially when it comes to training, is that we think we're breathing to get oxygen into the body. Mm. But, but the reason we're breathing is to get carbon dioxide out of the body, you know? So we have lots of oxygen in our blood. We have more than enough. And we don't need to be huffing and puffing through the mouth. It's more about our body, like, perceiving too much CO2 on the body and trying to get it out of the body. And when we breathe like this, we are in an anaerobic state. So this means that we're burning sugars in the body as opposed to burning fat in the body. So like sympathetic nervous action as in fight or flight correlates directly with anaerobic energy production, which means we're not using air to make our energy. We're using sugars that are stored within the body. And this is like our rocket fuel, you know, this is like our nitros in a car. This is our backup energy system where we need a boost. And that's why it kicks in in fight or flight, but it's not meant to be used in a long-term manner. So people think that they're training aerobically, but if they're breathing through their mouth, you're just getting really efficient at burning sugars as a fuel. And so you're using that like high intensity anaerobic energy system to basically crawl along the ground uh, four miles an hour in your car. It's like it's like driving your car at 50 miles an hour in first gear. Do you know what I mean? You're just like, you're revving the engine um, when you're just doing like slow, easy work. So changing the breathing pattern up, restricting the breathing, getting the body to tolerate CO2 a little bit more allows us to slow the breathing down, allows us to use fat as a fuel, and like we recover much better so you can do like low level aerobic work all day. And we're designed to do that you know, when we do it right. And we can recover really easily from that stuff. But the anaerobic system, the burning sugar is a much dirtier energy system. There's a lot more waste products. It's a lot more stressful on the body. It's a lot more stressful on the nervous system. And, and if you take somebody who's already stressed up to their eyeballs, like a lot of people are now, you're working like crazy. You've got a couple of kids. You know, your stress levels are already at 90% and then you're just stacking on more stress because your nervous system doesn't know the difference between emotional stress, work stress, physical stress. It's all the same, you know, um, and you're just piling more stress onto that stack and making it higher. Um, so the, the more you can breathe to your nose, the more you can do like proper aerobic work, the higher your aerobic threshold is going to be and what the aerobic threshold is the point where you switch from basically fat burning to, to sugar burning or from low intensity to high intensity if you want to put labels on it 
Um, so the higher we can push that threshold, which means we can do more work, breathe less, have a lower heart rate, stay aerobic, keep burning those nice clean fats as the fuel. And um, so we can push harder, we can work harder and still not burst into that like high intensity anaerobic kind of sugar burning state, you know? So like you have, say the leanest person in the room will have like nearly 100,000 calories of fat in their body. Whereas sugars, you know, you've got maybe, I don't know, 20,000, I can't think of the exact number, but it's a lot, lot less. Like, and you, your sugars will burn out a lot quicker than your fats will. So that's why you see endurance athletes that are hoofing sugar gels and hoofing sugar drinks because they have to keep topping up those sugar stores, you know? And, and that's what happens when they hit the wall is that they bonk because they get to the point where their body just gives up on, on the sugar or they run out of sugar and they're forced to burn fat as a fuel and their body's not used to it, you know? And it just becomes this like um, crash where the body is like going on a hard reset from sugar burning for so long to being forced into, into um, burning fat. And it's, it's just, it's not healthy for the body to do that in such an extreme environment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a lot less stressful on the system. And then like when we look at high intensity work or when we look at like something like weightlifting, so if, if you're lifting heavy weights, like you're doing a really, a really quick, high intensity anaerobic thing, you're creating energy really fast. But then in between that, your body has to recuperate, has to get the carbon dioxide out of your body, a lot of carbon dioxide produced in anaerobic work. And um, so we can use the breath to walk the body back down. So like I'll use something called five, seven, nine breathing, where like say you do a hundred meter sprint, you come back, you so you take nine breaths through the mouth and you start to take control of the recovery instead of just letting your body just rev, 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 rev. You take control of it, not five breaths through the mouth, seven breaths in and out through them, into the nose, out through the mouth. And then your last nine in and out through the nose. And you're just walking the breath back down to the nice calm nasal breathing. And that tells you. So you don't need a timer. You don't need anything else. That tells you instantly when you're recovered. You know, so the breath is like an indicator as well of how we're recovering and using the breath as the signal that we're ready to go again. So it's just, it gives you just a much more intuitive feel into what's actually going on in your training. You know, it makes it much more mindful thing than just going at it and not thinking at all about how you're breathing and just letting it rev and yeah that's it uh, i've never heard it described like that before using your breathing to to walk yourself back down yeah man. um it's a great way to describe it and i, I think it's i remember when i used to play football as a kid and stuff like that i think it'd be kind of you know kind of intuitive you know if you if you did a, a run a sprint or whatever i always remember you know, your coach would tell you to put your hands behind your head, open up your lungs. Yeah. But there's always that kind of the myth of the big breath in mm-hmm. that you're going to like sucking in these big breaths to try and kind of bring yourself back when you say in reality, it's a bit more subtle and nuanced. And I think having that, yeah, that kind of specific knowledge of how you can use it in these ways is, is incredibly valuable. When you work with people or even with, with your own work, do you, because I know with some people, they'll recommend that when you start to breathe through your nose or when you start to focus on nasal breathing and exercise that you will kind of accept that you're going to do a little bit less to begin with 
that you might start doing lower distances or lower reps. Is that the same approach you take or are you kind of okay with some mouth breathing as you kind of gradually bring it towards a midpoint? Yeah, it's goal dependent again, but yes, like for everybody, it's a matter of parking your ego. Like if you're after being cycling 50K at a certain pace or running 10K at a certain pace, of course, if I restrict your breathing now, you're not going to be able to do the same. It's a huge thing. Like everybody is like, it's so hard to park the ego because we have this number. And again, this is where we get into our performance based idea of training of like my whole, uh, my whole self-worth is wrapped up in the fact that I can do a 40-minute 10K. You know what I mean? I'm not saying me personally, but the, <laughs> the metaphorical, but I have been that person, you know? And when you when you change your breathing patterns, when you start breathing through the nose, yeah, you're going to have to park that ego. Like, I'm just, my recommendation to people is forget about the distance and just think about time. So I just want you to do 20 minutes breathing through your nose. I don't care what pace you're going. Um, let your breathing dictate the pace and just run for 20 minutes you know um, and the other thing that we do is like anytime you're walking around anytime you're cycling your bike when you're warming up for your training sessions close your mouth and breathe to your nose and just like getting people into that habit because it takes a little bit of time to get used to and as I'm sure you know uh, there's a little bit of like a panic sensation that comes along with increased CO2 on the body. And it takes a little bit of time for your body to get used to that. So it can feel quite stressful in terms of that little rise in panic feeling, especially if you're pushing the pace, like especially if you're trying to go as fast as you were going before. So yeah, really got to pull the ego back. Um, and there's a lesson in that just in itself, you know, of let your body dictate how fast you're going to go. Um, but the good news is over time that space opens up, you know, and like in time, if you stick with it, you'll be definitely able to run at the same pace you were running at and breathe through the nose and still have those sugars, still have your nitros in store for when you need to do a fast burst or, you know, mm-hmm. so like in the long run, you're retraining yourself. It's the same with movement patterns. You know, when we, when we try to retrain people in movement patterns, the same things, but I'm able to do this and I don't want to leave that, you know, because like that's valuable to me. But if you want to ultimately in the long term expand and be healthier and, you know, be pain free, then you've got to sit back a little bit and, and do the subtle work, do the, the work that needs to be done, you know. And do you find with people that you work with, when it maybe begins as a a physical thing okay we're going to breathe so you can perform better do you find that there's a natural kind of spillover eventually into how breathing just in general i find introduces it kind of introduces mindfulness into your life without you even fully realizing that you've introduced mindfulness into your life in a way so do you find that with people you work with there is that kind of spillover 100 percent, like game changer uh like when I, I've done stuff where like we're giving people like five, seven, nine breathing to recover between like super high intensity sets. And then the person will come to me and be like, it's mad. I was at work the other day and uh, she was really angry and stressed out. And like I know someone's breathing really hard and I just did the five, seven, nine breathing. And like 
I walked, I felt like afterwards, I just felt really calm. I was like, yeah, that's mad, isn't it? Because <laughs> it's the same thing, you know, like stress, physical stress, emotional stress. It's all the same to your nervous system, you know? So yeah, you can use those same techniques in any facet of your life. But yeah, even that, the fact that that person like twigged that and then did it in that space is just something that they never would have done before, you know? So yeah, I think once you once you start doing it, it's definitely a gateway um, inwards because it is it, like working with your breath is an inward journey, no matter what way you look at it, you know. Um, and sometimes I suppose I can sound probably a bit utilitarian the way I speak about it, in that um, yeah, maybe people are looking for a little bit more woo woo, but. I don't think you even need it. I think like once you do the practices, that all comes. You don't. I don't need to explain that to you. You know, I don't need to to sell that part of it to you, um, because you feel it in your body, and that's what I love about the breath. Like when I'm doing corporate workshops, uh, like I did a thing with Google recently, and like I was talking or something. I said, you know what? I'm talking too much. Because like, you know how you feel the need to explain yourself or you need to feel the need to like preempt your thing with like a glorious introduction. I was like, I'm going to stop talking now and we're just going to do it, you know, and just like let you feel this in your body. And it's just people who have never done it before like can instantly feel it. Once they do it, they, they feel it. And you can't, you can't argue with that. Like, that's the ultimate. <laughs> I can talk all day, but if I can get you to feel something, then. Very true. And I think for a lot of us, you know, understanding the technicalities behind things really helps. I'd be kind of that way as well. Like I sort of maybe not need to, but we definitely like to know, you know, what's kind of happening behind the curtain. Yeah. But you don't need to, you don't need to know oxygen, CO2, VO2 max, like all of the, the bore effect. You don't actually need to know that stuff. You can just feel it. Yeah. And once you feel it, I do think it is this kind of light bulb moment. Because again, what a lot of we're doing is we're working patterns. And if you're developing the pattern of being attentive to your breathing when you're training, then of course you're going to become attentive to your breathing when you're when you're not training, when you're at work, when you're at your kids, whatever it is. And I really like that description as well, that it's an inward journey, because I think always bound up in the question of, well, how is my breathing? Is well, how am I doing? You know what I mean, because it's always an indicator of how your breathing is reflecting how you're feeling. Um, and I think that little, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a, as you said, it's, it's an invaluable tool to be able to draw upon. And that's such a good point. I love that you, you said that, uh, cause it's a two way highway, isn't it? You know, like our breathing is affected by how we feel, but how we feel or how we perform is also affected by our breathing. And it's, it's a two way journey, you know, like we, there's messages traveling up and down that super highway, like, mm. um, and yeah, now in the morning, I sit down like I used to be like, I'm doing this breath practice. And that stuff is necessary, you know, to to learn and to, to really feel things out. But now I sit down and I, I watch my breathing for a minute. Mm. And I say, oh, how, how am I today? You know, how, how is my breathing today? And that gives me a direct insight into how my nervous system is and how my emotional state is. And, you know, mm. it, it's fascinating. And then I build my practices based on that. So it becomes kind of, an intuitive thing and that's lovely like when it's just be, feels like it's part of you you know lovely man um you are at a bit of a at the beginning of a new journey in your life at the moment you're 
in the process of opening up your new your new venture universal space um which looks amazing by the way so i'd love to know what your kind of the the the, the intention the, the motivation the hope for the space is yes brother thank you so much um, yeah, so yeah, this has been something that's been a, a good while in the making, and uh, it's one of those amazing things, you know. And you think about like we talk about spirituality, and we talk about like like people can be dismissive of these things, and um, but I look at something as simple as the fact that we as humans can think of something, and then like say I want to do that, and then in time it comes to be you know it's just an amazing thing and like that sounds just very basic but that is like the idea of manifestation isn't it is that we can direct our energy in the world and that like something manifests out of that it's fucking incredible like so yeah this is this has been something i've been thinking about for years and it's like universal space the name is deliberately kind of unspecific you know in terms of um we were talking about dogma earlier. Like, I find that I'm not shitting on yoga. I'm not shitting on CrossFit. I'm not shitting on anything that has a name or a methodology. Um, but I find sometimes that those things can become limiting in some way because we gravitate towards or we get a certain type of person gravitating towards that or people feel restrained by the limits of the, the methodology or the label, you know? Um, and I think ultimately what we see now in the world is all of these things coming together. The idea of breath work, the idea of meditation, the idea of, you know, keeping your body strong and moving in whatever way you move and for your physical, mental and spiritual health. And that these are all kind of just coming together now. And that's, that's the future that we see and that's the future that I envision. And that's what universal space strives to be you know is, is a space for mind body and spirit whether it's breath work movement and meditation spiritual events music art and and the space for ultimately human connection you know because i feel like this is one of the big parts of the puzzle that's kind of missing now as well it's just like connecting and um, together as humans in a kind of open space and i think the idea of not having any dogma there is is very important you know so uh, yeah as a vision myself and mark have talked about this for a couple of years now and um yeah thanks to like him and me and the guys at collective we've come together and, and this thing is now a physical reality you know <laughs> so um yeah congratulations it's not when, when, when I was listening to you speak there, I remember hearing described before that you know, all of these practices like yoga, tai chi, martial arts, whatever you want to call them, they're all rivers leading to the same ocean. And I think sometimes we can get a little bit caught in the river and think that our river is the best one and the most important and everyone, but we understand that actually they're all just trying to, they're all flowing in the same direction, which is to something more universal something probably beyond definitions and i think it's uh i think it's going to be very valuable for dublin but obviously with the world we're living in now we're not limited to, to physical spaces alone but to push towards something more all-encompassing i think would be a really beautiful thing 
Thank you, brother. Yeah, it's super exciting. Um, and yeah, I think like we have this propensity to want to name things, first of all, and then also to be on a certain team, you know, and to be like, no, this martial art or that martial art or which is the best yoga system or like like how many different iterations of yoga are there now, you know, it's like, um, and they all claim to be the best and it's the same in all things, you know, and that we have this like need or want to to label things and then to decide which, which is the best, you know, when it's like the plant medicines we were talking about earlier, like there's different paths, like just because that person's not on your path or they don't buy into your methodology doesn't mean that we're all not heading in the same direction, you know? Yeah, so I love that, I love that um, analogy of the rivers, that's perfect. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're looking forward to, to when things open up a little bit now, hopefully in the next couple of weeks and mm. um, really getting, getting some interesting stuff going. Yeah, I think it's going to be very different to what people are used to, you know, so excited about it. I'm excited to see it, man. I was chatting with Mark just a few weeks ago and I was asking about the space. He just kept saying that I'm not going to tell you anything about it. You're going to have to just see it and see what you make of it yourself. But yeah, I'm excited for you guys to open. I'm really excited to see what you what you have in store. And so I wanted to ask you about something else, actually, which might be a small shift in focus, but will probably tie in with a lot of what we were discussing. From my perspective, at least, you're a dude who has gone through a lot of growth in his life, gone through a, a lot of change. But the one thing that has been constant is your relationship. You and your partner, Eva, have been together for a really long time. So I guess I was just wondering how how you guys manage that, how your growth impacted upon your relationship or equally how your relationship impacted on the journey you've been on, if you wouldn't mind speaking to that a little. Absolutely. Yeah, we're 20 years together in July, bro, believe it or not. Jesus Christ. So, uh, yeah, it's been a journey. Like I often say to Eva, like we talk about, it's like, we're both completely different people. Like obviously your essence is the same, but like just looking at the journey that you come on and you're not the same two people that you were, you know, obviously. But uh, I think we've always allowed the space for growth. I think that's what, like change has never been an issue. And I see like in a lot of relationships, even like friendships, like I know I noticed this when I came back from, from Peru, it was like people would be like, oh, you've changed, you know what I mean? And that's like seen as a negative thing and that like, oh, you're, you're a bit different. That's, and like the under the underwritten thing there is, oh, you don't provide for me the same thing that you did before or, you know, you don't make me feel the same way you did before or whatever, whatever it might be. But uh, this idea that change is, is something that's a negative thing. Um, I think we have always had that idea of growth as a positive thing or the idea of, of allowing each other to grow and change and um, without even knowing that really like as, as a thing, like that's something I've probably only come to realize in the last couple of years, but that's always been there, you know, there's always been like an acceptance of, of growth and change. And like Eve has been through her own massive journey with like, you know, um, anxiety stuff and we have like her own personal like it's like we've come again the rivers you know 
like she's been on her path and she's like never been into plant medicines or any of that stuff but there's such direct correlations between the journeys that we've been on you know and that was a big that was a big kind of stimulus for me to change as well as well as was that when Aoife was going through or stuff like I, I was always there like physically there and as much as I could be with the emotional tools I had but I wasn't as there as I could have been you know that way um, and I could maybe not sympathize or not um, resonate with what she was going through as much as I should have and um, so that was a big stimulus for me to be like to yeah, to grow, I suppose. Like in my mind, the reason that I was doing this stuff was yes, for myself, but also for everybody around me and to be able to to be better and to 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 be more supportive and to to give emotional support where you know stuff would happen, like emotional stuff would happen, and I'd be just like huh? I'd just like feel like I was standing in a room but like completely detached from everybody, do you know that way? Um so yeah, like uh, I, I don't even know where to start with with a relationship like but there's always been just an acceptance of growth and uh there's always just been a trust i think like i think me personally and i think eve is the same we come from similar families like Eve's family is from east wall and um, so we both have a kind of inner city maybe way of thinking but i always valued loyalty as as a thing you know and i still do like i still think like loyalty is important um, and it's a great trait to see in somebody. And I think maybe nowadays people are a bit wishy-washy with like, I don't know, I've seen people be wronged and their friends like not stand by them. And, you know, I feel like people are afraid maybe to make a stand these days or to, to be in conflict. And we've always just had that loyalty. Like I've always seen that loyalty and it's always been reciprocated to me. Um yeah, and she just fucking awesome as well. So like, okay. <laughs> yeah. well, I, find, I find it really inspiring because I, I know for myself personally, I kind of I kind of needed relationships to end before I'd get pushed to grow, if that makes sense. That I kind of <laughs> I would kind of like wait out until everything crumbled and then be like, okay, maybe I should change something here <laughs> instead of kind of proactively changing. And I feel grateful to a certain extent that I've kind of in the relationship I am now, I feel like I'm at a place where I can really be in that relationship uh, where maybe I wasn't before, but I do find it really, really inspiring and really beautiful Um that you guys have grown together over over this period of time it's an amazing thing thank you bro yeah it's a blessing like and i think i've just been lucky that i found the person that i found at the time that i found them for some people it happens later and you know i think we just got really lucky and we fucking worked that out as well like it's work you know as you know yourself relationships of all kinds are work and compromise it's always give and take you know I think that's something that we're really good at is like this 80-20 type of thing, you know, from having a shit day, like evil pitch in and, and take the brunt of the stuff. And I think it's the same the other way around where we kind of can feel each other's energy a little bit and um, compensate for it, you know, like, yeah, look after each other, I suppose. But I don't know what the secret is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe again, it's you don't have to know, you just got to feel it. 
people want that they want the magic feel like <laughs> and so listen last thing i want to ask you because i could stay talking to you all day but um you know sometimes you gotta put you gotta put a limit on these things but uh again another it's approaching a new phase of your life with the with the baby on the way mm. um how do you feel your again growth your development the things that you've been through the things that you practice how do you feel that's going to influence you as a father oh god i can <laughs> only hope that like i'm aware enough now that i hopefully won't pass too much of my bullshit onto my kids <laughs> that that's like my primary goal right now is like yeah to to I feel like a kid should be like you 2.0, you know? It's like pass on as many of your good traits as you can, but try not to fucking pour your ancestral trauma onto them and your own personal stuff. And yeah, that's, I feel like I'm definitely more equipped now to to approach that or even think about it than I was before. Um, but we can only... We can only hope, mate, as we fly along this roller coaster of life and hold on to the bars for dear life, you know, and just hope that the the choices that we're making are the right ones as we hurtle along. <laughs> well, it's a, it's, a, it's a lucky kid. It's going to have, um, it's definitely going to have some good guidance, I think. Well, definitely going to climb some trees, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So listen, if you, if you had the time, if you were still up for it, if you wanted to lead us on a, a little breathing practice to, to finish up, that would be amazing. I'd love to, brother. I'd love to. Short one. <laughs> All right. So it's going to be a nice soft practice. So if you guys are listening, just get yourself either seat or lying down. Straight spine if you can. You can shut your eyes down. Just take a pause here for a moment, just for you. And when you're ready, you can start to zone in on the breath in the body. So find a point of awareness where the breath is showing up for you today. Whether that's the tips of the nostrils the back of the throat, or the chest, or the abdomen. Just take a moment to observe. And your point of awareness for this little practice is going to be your belly, the abdomen, just behind the belly button. Our primary focus today is just going to be softening and relaxing this area down. We hold a lot of tension in here. So as you're breathing now, I want you to just start to lengthen the inhales just a little bit. And as you exhale, just relaxing, softening down through the belly. And breathing through the nose here if possible. And each inhale, just lengthening. 
as you exhale, just focus on softening the belly and relaxing the belly. And again, in your own time now, just lengthening those inhales and softening the belly on the exhales. And I know that you think your belly is relaxed right now, but I want you to consciously try to soften it down a little bit more. And nobody's watching you. Just let that bad boy hang out. Let it soften down. Each inhale, just a little bit deeper. And softly relaxing the belly as you exhale. And just casting your mind back down to the belly every couple of breaths and actively softening. And now we're gonna to start to add a little pause between the inhale and the exhale. So take your nice soft inhale at the top, just pause, take a second or two, as long as it's comfortable. And then again, softly exhaling, soften through the belly. And continuing again, inhale and hold at the top. And soften the belly down as you exhale. Just a couple of more breaths in this. And now we're just going to start to lengthen the exhales just a bit. So keep that same inhale. Take your little pause at the top. And on the exhale, as you soften the belly, so extending that exhale a little bit on each breath. And in, take your pause at the top, soften the belly as you lengthen it to that exhale. Smooth breath in, pause at the top. Soften through the belly for that long exhale. Just going to take one or two more breaths here. Softening the belly, lengthening the exhale. And for our last couple of breaths now, I want you just to release all control over the breaths. Keep that feeling of a soft abdomen, nice relaxed belly. And just let the breath flow in and out at its natural pace now. 
focusing in on that soft, relaxed belly. to remember is that you are always doing breath work whether you're sitting down or walking around or running or whatever you're doing the breath is always deeply connected to your emotional state to your energy production to your levels of anxiety or not there's no escaping from it. I'm bringing just a little bit of conscious awareness to it. Can be a complete game changer. You're ready, you can open your eyes and go and have a wonderful day. <laughs> thank you for that, dude. That was beautiful. Pleasure, Brian. So listen, man, I want to say thank you for again taking the time to, to have this chat, but also, just want to take, say thank you in general for everything you bring into the world, dude. Um, your your openness, your vulnerability, your commitment to growth is all very, very inspiring. And uh, yeah, I'm super grateful for you, man. So I wish you all the best with the space. I'm looking forward to what comes. I think it's going to be a really amazing, a really important addition to, to, to Dublin. All the best with the family, although I'm definitely going to see you before then. But, but I'll take the opportunity to say it now. Uh, but again, much love for you, dude. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, bro. I appreciate you so much. And uh, likewise, I love, I love what you're doing. Well, you know I love your shit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you have people have nothing, nothing but good things to say when I mention I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation. And thank you again to Jody for finding the time to have this chat. You'll find all of the information for Universal Space in the show notes. And I'd really recommend checking it out. And if you'd like to support the production of this podcast, you can do so by finding us at The Breathwork Club on Patreon and becoming a member for a small monthly donation. As a thank you, Patreon members get access to additional yoga and breathwork content your support would be really greatly appreciated. You can also find us on thebreathworkclub.ie and if you have any questions or queries, never hesitate to get in touch. Thank you again for listening. Happy breathing.